If I'm being honest, guys, you don't want me doing an ad read about having a smooth ball bag, having food delivered to your house, or building a website online. But what you do want is more content, which can be found at the Murder Me Monday podcast Patreon in the link below. You get access a week early, exclusive content, and a shout out if you care about that kind of thing. Because I don't want to do ad reads. I don't want to do this. It would be horrific. Now, hopefully, that's made Mother happy promoting the Patreon, and hopefully, you enjoy the show. We'll see you around. Much love. Peace. At some point in our lives, most of us may make a decision which we have been pushed into or rushed into, which turns out to be the wrong one. Hopefully, they are minor decisions, but if it is a life-changing one, huge problems can then arise. Each subsequent choice or decision in this week's case makes the situation worse. Was it desperation or was it jealousy over someone's life being better than theirs that resulted in the murder? This is the case of Rika Okada, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I am Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. Were you pausing for me to say something? Yes, I was. Oh, I don't have anything. You can go. Okay, so let me take you to Japan, Osaka. Third biggest city in Japan following Yokohama and Tokyo. January 2014. Japan is divided into 47 prefectures, which sits below the national government, and they have a legal standing with an elected governor and a budget. Kind of like our counties in the UK, I would think, but a lot more independent. And then you've not got all the smaller sublayers like city halls or town councils and parishes. So it's probably more like London. Uh, speaking of London... I was there the other week. (laughs) People might have seen it. (laughs) Yeah, you want me to talk about it briefly. I was at Comic-Con on the weekend, just gone. And I guess by the time you guys listened to it, it'd be about two weeks prior. But yeah, I was at Comic-Con. I was walking around topless dressed as a guy from anime called Inosuke, which wears a boar mask. And apparently some people that were at Comic-Con listened to the podcast as well. And... I'm, oh, I'm annoyed that they didn't go up and say hello. Yeah, that but would, we didn't so cool. tell anybody you were no. going just in case something happened. So, And I wouldn't have assumed that people that listen to this podcast no. that would then go to Comic-Con. Yeah. I, I I didn't imagine that would be a weird blend no. of people. And it would have been really... I mean, the amount of pictures I took, I took it for like 150 pictures of with people. It was just so funny. It was just so funny when she came and said, oh my God, I actually saw him and I yeah. didn't know it was him. And I'm sorry. It's, it's just crazy to think that, <laughs> that, that, that people listening to the podcast would have seen me in person. It's just really odd, isn't it? Comic-Con, you might, you wouldn't expect it at Comic-Con, but you'd expect it at Crime-Con. Exactly. Yeah. And if you want to see what those are, you can check us out on Instagram, Murder Me Monday Podcast. Uh, I, I don't want to say I was topless, so that's why you want to check it, because that makes it sound like I should have an OnlyFans then, shouldn't I? Anyway, so we're in... Japan. We're in Japan, which is very similar to London, apparently. Well, the prefecture. So we are talking about Rika Okada. She was a 29-year-old nurse, and she was surprised to receive a message online and out of the blue from her childhood friend, Yuri Oshi. Yuri was living in Tokyo, 500 kilometres or about 300 miles away, but wanted to meet up. The two had been great friends throughout their school years, and although they hadn't seen each other in over a decade, they had been able to keep up a little with each other's lives through social media. Rika was happy to meet, and she, Yuri, and two other former classmates got together at a local izakaya, which is the equivalent of a Japanese pub. On the 1st of February 2014, Rika posted a message on her Facebook 
I'm going to meet my elementary school classmates this evening. Has it been 10 years since we last met? After the meeting, Rika also posted a picture of the four at the Izakaya on her Facebook. Yuri spent the night at Rika's small apartment and left for Tokyo the next day. On March the 20th, 2014, a weeks after Yuri's visit, Rika posted a Facebook update saying, I've just had a very unpleasant experience and I'm shaking with anger. We haven't got any clarification what that message about, but what happens next could probably be a repeat of the same scenario. Rika had sent instant online messages to a few friends on the 21st of March, saying that her ex-classmate Yuri was waiting for her at the door to her apartment and had asked to stay with her for the night and she'd refused to let her stay as she had to go to work the next day. But Yuri would not take no for an answer and forced her way in and refused to leave. Rika was very, very non-confrontational and eventually allowed her to stay overnight. But on the morning of the 22nd of March, Rika sent a line message, which apparently is a bit like WhatsApp, said to her friend, Yuri just showed up at my place last night and she refuses to leave. Rika apparently then decided to confront Yuri one more time in the hopes that she would go. On that same day, 22nd of March, Rika's colleagues at the hospital received a message from her mobile phone saying she was too ill to go to work. The rest of the day, there were no Facebook updates or messages from Rika's phone. As Rika was a good cook, she would often post photographs of her cooking. No activity was considered strange by those who knew her. She was quite social online and none of her friends could reach her via social media or the phone, as it was shut off. The next day, 23rd of March, a parcel delivery firm gets a call from a job from a woman saying her name was Rika Okada and she had a parcel she wanted collecting from her apartment and delivering to Tokyo. They collected a two-metre-long box weighing about 50 kilos. The label said, Handle with care, life-size replica human doll. That's a body. Yes. It didn't need to be a true crime podcast to think that's a body. While someone had filled in Rika's name on the request form and paid for the job with Rika's credit card, the contact number was the mobile number for Yuri and the address to deliver to was also Yuri's apartment. Why wouldn't she have used Rika's phone? If she'd have kept the phone on, Rika's family would have been contacting that phone. She switched it on and off a couple of times and did respond to a couple of messages. But this is, again, bad decision making, isn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking if the phone being in operation would have been less suspicious, but then Mm -hmm. you'd have been in contact by the friends and family, so then that would have been harder to play off. Mm. In my head, I was thinking, is it because she can't access the phone? But I was thinking, no, she took the phone. No, but I was thinking, if it's yeah. if it's not unlocked, you would just cut a finger off and use that as the <laughs> scan the fingerprint. Back then, it would have been a fingerprint scanner. Yeah. It wouldn't have been face ID. Yeah. So you just cut a finger off. It's easier than cutting a face off. So just cut a finger off. <laughs> you would, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot fault your logic, Cameron. There's movies that I know that kind of go into this. You you pay with everything with a fingerprint. So instead of people stealing a wallet, they cut your thumbs off. Yeah, I know. I've seen them. So when someone from Rika's work did a home visit, they reported that no one was home. 
And when the building landlord called and left a message, they were called by a, back by a woman saying she was Rika and was staying elsewhere and wouldn't be back for a while. Rika's parents reported Rika missing at the end of March. She hadn't shown up for work and she couldn't be reached by her phone. We may not know a lot about Rika, but we do know a lot more about Yuri. Yuri was born in 1985 in Brazil, but her parents were Japanese citizens. In 1888, yes, I'm going back that far, after slavery was banned in Brazil, the country needed people to work the coffee plantations. However, because of poor working conditions and low wages, most Europeans would not go to Brazil. But it was easy for Japanese people to travel there and work, which they started to do in 1908. Going back to Japan was much more difficult for descendants, almost impossible unless you had Japanese citizenship. But by 2005, when Japan was experiencing a labour crunch, they had relaxed rules on the entry of Brazilians of Japanese descent. At its peak, there were more than 300,000 Brazilians in Japan. However, most of the Brazilians were second, third or fourth generation Japanese who spoke Portuguese. And many of them experienced problems settling in due to the language barrier. The Japanese government had failed to create the infrastructure for integration, such as school systems for Brazilian children or language lessons. In 2009, the Japanese government began offering money to foreign workers of Japanese descent to go home if they pledged not to return to Japan to work until such time as they were needed. Quite a few Brazilians took up that offer. In 2009 there were still more than 267,000 of them, though, in Japan. So they wanted people that were from a Japanese family that had moved to Brazil yes. to leave Brazil and go back to Japan. Yes. and then they under, want... the, under the condition of not working until they want them to. No, the other way around. In 2005, they wanted them back from Brazil because they needed the bodies. Yep. And then in 2009, they said, right, here's money, go back to Brazil. Oh, okay. And in that time, they wouldn't have gained a Japanese citizenship? No. So it's, it's like on, on loan? Yes. It? It's quite mercenary, really, isn't it, when you think about it? I guess it's no different than... Well, I guess it's slightly different than if you're not from Australia and you work in Australia and you're over there for like a year, you have to work in a watermelon farm. Yes. It's a little bit different than that, but it's still, you still have to like work, but you're on loan to stay, to go, to get paid. It's a little bit... Yeah, but if your parents were Australian, you would feel rather... Annoyed because yeah. that's your culture, yes. isn't it? Yes, that's exactly what happened. 2013, there were still over 180,000 legally registered Brazilians in Japan, making them the fourth largest foreign community after the Chinese, Koreans and Filipinos. So Yuri's family returned to Japan from Brazil when she was a child and she lived close to Rica. They went to the same primary school and... She lived in Costa Rica? <laughs> She lived close to Rika. To, to Rika. Yes. They went to the same primary school and they were good friends. But in high school, Yuri decided to move back to Brazil and, and attend high school there. Japan only allows one citizenship. Why do you think that is? It's just their rules. That seems a really bad way of having people come to your country. 
a lot of countries have started that. You're not allowed to have dual citizenships anymore with some places. And that's weirdly nationalistic. Mm. I don't like that. Why wouldn't you? It's just the dirt you're born on. Well, you already had to decide be- be- between being a Japanese or a Brazilian by the age of 18. She decided to become a Brazilian citizen. Returning to Japan once again when she was 20 years old, she realised it was hard to find a good job and be part of Japanese society as she'd given up her Japanese citizenship. She was on a temporary visa, couldn't find a well-paying job and ended up working at supermarkets and convenience stores just to get by. She also lived with a Chinese roommate in Tokyo to save money. Did she have any form of education beyond? No. Like secondary school? No. Okay. Yuri was isolated. She didn't get on with her father and they hadn't contacted each other in three years. And he seems to have been her only remaining relative as far as I can tell. With no family or real friends, her only friend was her Chinese roommate. But in 2013, her roommate was planning to return to China after getting a job offer to work for a Japanese company in Shanghai. That was when Yuri decided she wanted to go to China as well. Yuri was lonely. She wanted to go to study advertising and get a job in advertising in China with her Chinese roommate. So she's replicating her friend's life, isn't she? If her friend is having turns of good luck, I can't really blame her. No. It's why friends can kind of get dragged up with you. If you're choosing to do something and they sort of tag along, they can end up being successful as well. It's just they might not have the motivation or understanding of how to navigate through it. And if that's your friend and they're going over to China to, to work in Shanghai, earning presumably good money for them to have to le- go from China to Japan back to China, then why wouldn't you think that? I would. There was a lot of problems with it. I mean, I don't speak Chinese, so I wouldn't do it, but I can see why she'd do it with her friend. Well, Yuri was in debt. She couldn't afford to go to China. She'd been denied permanent residency in Japan, so had overstayed her visa and was living in Japan illegally. Although she had a Brazilian passport, she would get into trouble for overstaying. And having a Brazilian passport made her feel inferior and robbed of opportunities that official Japanese people had in Japan. So that decision to give up her citizenship at 18 had not really done her any favours, had it? We've no idea why she did that, what influenced her, if anybody persuaded her or why. Yuri had heard of other foreigners who had forged their passports and decided she couldn't leave Japan legitimately, she would either have to steal a passport, which was risky, or forge one. But that would cost a lot of money and be risky as well. But there was one other way. Impersonating someone and basically forging a real passport by identity theft. She needed someone who was single and would be easy to target, as well as someone who'd never left Japan and didn't have a passport. After reviewing her choices, she decided to target Rika. She lived alone, didn't have a passport, and she'd never left Japan. Assuming again from that watching social media over the years, she would know that Rika didn't travel. But a lot of people here in the UK don't travel but have a passport for ID purposes as we don't have national ID cards. So it could have been a risky plan. We have Rika reported missing at the end of March. Nothing is heard of her. 
Due to lack of reporting, probably language difficulties in the Japanese legal system, how the investigation panned out, we have no clear timeline. But what I think has happened is this. Rika was reported missing. Police will look into activity on her bank accounts. Yuri had taken Rika's phone. Whilst it switched off mainly, as I said, she had texted Rika's parents. Police probably tracked the cell tower pings. Yuri had also applied for other credit cards in Rika's name, had taken Rika's health card, which allowed her to get a certificate to apply for a passport in Rika's name, all of which the police would be able to track. Yuri had taken delivery of that human-sized doll package at her apartment and there it stayed for a month. But her old roommate who'd gone to China was due back for a short visit. So she moved the box to a storage facility in Hachijoi, a city west of Tokyo, at the end of April. She paid for that storage facility using one of Rika's cards, maybe a fraudulent one. Once the roommate returned, Yuri decided she would accompany her back to China. She purchased a plane ticket using a credit card in Rika's name. And on the 3rd of May, she took a flight from Tokyo to Shanghai, but was arrested on the 27th of May by Shanghai officials and detained for suspect illegal entry into China. I also know from the day job how China monitors visitors and every single step of any visit has to be registered. Every hotel, every place you plan on visiting, you have to provide proof. Hotel bookings and a letter of introduction or business meetings being confirmed by the Chinese element. It's quite intense. It's a bit different as a holiday maker, but even then you are restricted where you can travel to. So doing a bit of digging... China required a visa for Brazilian citizens, which is probably why she couldn't get in there as she was in Japan illegally. But Japanese are allowed into China without visas. So that's probably the explanation behind all of this. As the disappearance of Rika is being investigated back in Osaka, the police found bloodstains with the DNA matching Rika in her apartment. 21st of May, police go to the storage facility and find a box with the body of Rika inside it. It was going to be obvious, wasn't it? Fingerprint analysis also found Yuri's prints on that box. There's been a lot of questions about why no one noticed the decomposition smell, and I don't have any answers for that. Maybe Japanese natural reticence of sticking one's nose into other people's business. There was a warrant out for Yuri for the robbery and the use of Rika's credit cards, as well as for the murder of Rika Okada. However, there is no extradition treaty between Japan and China. So the Osaka police used diplomatic channels requesting China to hand Yuri back over to Japan. Why is there no extradition treaty? Some countries just won't sign them. But if they've got the thing where you don't need to have a visa from one to the other. She was going to be sent back to Brazil. No, I know that's not what I'm saying, but... Uh, if you're Japanese citizen, you don't need a thingy to go to China, do you? No. But extradition, they won't allow. But I, I assume because they're in conversation there, that the extradition treaty would just be like another logical step. If, if, you, if you're letting people over there very easily, then why wouldn't you have a procedure in place that when people do mess up, you can send them back easily as well? To me, that would be the, the next logical step. Why wouldn't you do that? If it's so freely available to come in, you should be quite freely available to fuck them back out again. 
I get what you're saying. I understand the other way around why Japan ha- wouldn't have one with China because a lot of countries won't extradite their own citizens where the death penalty is in, fe- in place. So why China wouldn't give Yuri back to Japan? Maybe it was because she was actually Brazilian. They wanted to send her back to Brazil. And Japan were like, no, give her back. Yeah, we want her. She did it here. Yes. But she's not Japanese. She's Brazilian. I still think this whole thing could have been avoided if she just had dual citizenship. Yeah, you're not wrong. But we're here here now. The Japanese government continued to ask through various channels for Yuri to be sent back. And finally, in 2016, China's Supreme Court ruled that she could. In January 2017, Yuri was taken back to Japan and was arrested for theft, murder and fraud. Originally, Yuri refused to cooperate with the police and said she had nothing to say. How did they find her? Is it it during the... The Shanghai police, so she flew into Shanghai and she was there for about three weeks. And I'll explain what she was doing in a minute. But she was there for about three weeks. But when you go to China, they monitor you. If you're not yeah, a citizen. Yeah, you said, yeah. And they realised after three weeks that... She's not Rika. She's not Rika. Or she's, it's fraudulent. The Chinese are really hot on that sort of stuff. Which is ironic, considering they make everything. I know. That's knockoff. I know, I know. So this was all premeditated, Yuri killing Rika, obviously. Even as going as far as buying a knife before she went to Rika's apartment for that last time. And the following morning, Yuri had a knife out of a bag and had it close to her and was waiting until the morning. She told police once Rika told her to get out of her apartment, Yuri stabbed her in the stomach. Yuri said, I don't remember what happened after that, but I stabbed her over and over. It would be later determined that Rika was stabbed over 50 times. There were no defensive wounds on the arms or anywhere. So did she jump her? Sort of a blitz attack. Or was the first stab such a shot that Rika had no fight in her? Yuri then cleaned up the blood from Rika's body, wiped the knife and then tried to remove any trace of her crime from Rika's home. She also cleaned up any online trace by deleting the post about Rika being angry and upset on Facebook. Obviously, people have either screenshot it or Facebook still had a record of it. It is also believed that she may have drained Rika's blood, probably in the bath, to slow the decomposition down and make him moving the body easier because it'd be lighter. The trial for Yuri began in 2019 and Yuri admitted to killing Rika, but her defence team claimed she suffered from a psychological illness. Her lawyers argued that she should be punished but should not be held fully criminally liable due to diminished mental capacity. What that was all about, we don't know. However, prosecutors pointed out that there are many steps taken to hide the body, including packaging it, transporting it, and then hiding it in the storage locker. Sending messages from Rika's phone and impersonating Rika showed that Yuri had the ability to know right from wrong, and it was a deliberate attempt to avoid detection. I think if they had a competent legal team, they could have argued that. Maybe. Knowing right from wrong, just because she's hiding it doesn't necessarily mean she knows that it's wrong. It's a way for her to get the outcome that she wants. There's a, di- there's a difference in phrasing it and she knows what she's doing is wrong and therefore she's hiding it. It's because she wants to get something and if she doesn't hide it, she won't get it easily. Yeah, There's a difference. You could twist that so easily. 
I don't know if if in Japan there is the equivalent of the legal aid or public defenders, which I assume there would be. Uh, again, I would assume Rika's potless, uh, Yuri is potless, so it would have had to have been that. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with what you're saying at all, Cameron. But we are where we are. Yuri was sentenced to life in prison, March of 2019, but she appealed the decision. The appeal was dismissed and her sentence upheld. After the trial and sentencing, Yuri, in tears, made a statement saying, I'm sorry, I am sad and sorry for my actions and for causing so much trouble to so many people. It was later reported that Yuri spent over 1 million yen, which is about $10,000, both in Japan and in Shanghai, on clothes, hotels and other goods, you know, with all those fake cards that she created. So there's at least five YouTube videos, which I've linked in the show notes, no documentaries, and just a couple of English language articles and news reports. And that is one of the most unusual cases I have come across in a while. Was she mentally unbalanced, as they said, or was it every single decision she made from the age of 18 went wrong and she just compounded one bad move after another? Well, there's a few different things that happen when you make decisions. Is it the wrong decision or is it the decision that just didn't turn out well? Yes. When you roll the dice on roulette, sorry, not roll the dice, I know what the fuck, you can don't gamble. When you pick the colour on roulette, just because you picked red instead of black doesn't mean you picked wrong. No. So just because she picked that she wants to remain a Brazilian, a Brazilian citizen over Japanese doesn't mean it was the incorrect choice. It's just, it was just a cascade of failures that went wrong yeah, from it there. Was, it, and why did she go back to Japan at the age of 20? What had failed in the two years in Brazil? that We don't know because there's nothing in English. That's the problem. And the Japanese legal system doesn't allow you access to all the background stuff that you would get everywhere else. It's it, so frustrating. Is there a stigma for being a Japanese person in Brazil? I don't believe there is, but there's definitely a stigma the other way. The other way around. Yeah. But I guess in a lot of Japanese society, they're quite insular. Yes. It can be quite cold in certain instances. Mm Mm-hmm. So she might not have had any friends. Mm Mm-hmm. She needed a way to get out to go somewhere. She found a friend. She went to go to China. She killed someone. Which, again, is just a random act of violence. It really fucks me off. Because it could happen to anyone. It could happen to me. I think that's what annoys me. Because a lot of the people, they can be victims if they've done something wrong to someone. Whereas when it's random like this, I think oh, I, I could get jumped. Yeah. For whatever reason. It and it stresses a, me out. Yeah. she. I mean, she specifically targeted Rika because she knew about her from watching her on social media all those years. But did she know it in any other way? She went to school with her. But were they friends or they're just yes, at school Yes, no, together? they were good friends at school. But, uh, at, you know, primary school, middle school. And then when they got into high school, that's when she went back to Brazil. So they've been really good friends from probably the age of about four or five through to probably about 13-ish. And that's another layer of fuckery because they were good friends. Yeah. So when you said that she was shipped off... Yes. You said she was a clay doll. There are some reports that say it was a human-sized clay doll, which immediately had my brain going off to the Terracotta Army, but that's China, isn't it? I think so. But then we've covered... People being packaged off. What was it? What was it called? Is it Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? Oh, yes. Any, there's anything I can think of, and that's, yeah. that was. I don't know. Fuck. I don't know where that was from. But yeah, it's the Terracotta Army. We've also had the mummification with the drag queen, didn't we? In the cupboard that was in there for twenty odd years. One of our early cases that we covered last June. 
Oh, wasn't this a bean case? No, that was another one. That was another one. It was, it was wrapped up and stuffed in the loft, loft right? Yes, yeah. he was, poor thing, he was stuffed up. And then he was left out in the garden, <laughs> freak, freaked the neighbours out. Then you've also got the, well, I've talked about this. Um, I don't think it's, I think it's, it's not Anatoly Oprienko, but there is a Russian doll maker. And he is, loads of people have done this case. He's quite severely mentally ill. He's schizophrenic, but he's got some other things wrong. Um, he's never worked a proper job, but he's highly, highly intelligent. And he used to get very upset when young children used to die. And he used to go down to the graveyard and excavate or, you know, take the bodies back and basically turn them into mummies. And his parents just thought he had a thing for life-size dolls. They didn't realise that these were genuine children. You wouldn't assume that's a person? No. And I can't remember. He ended up, I think, with 27 of them, something ridiculous. Like It's a really weird case. How old was he when he was digging up these bodies? In his 40s. He, he, everybody thought there was a twisted sexual element to it, but it genuinely doesn't seem like there was. It genuinely seems like he just wanted to... T- he didn't An want innocent, to- sad thing, as if someone had, yeah. was like severely mentally disabled and they don't have the capacity to be no, malicious. No, it wasn't like... No, he, he wasn't severely mentally disabled because he was highly, highly intelligent. It was more that he just couldn't bear the thought of these small children being alone in the cold, but then turning them into mummies where he would dress them and have tea parties with them is not quite the same as bringing them back and keeping them at home and keeping them warm. I don't know, but he's been let out. If I went out with a shovel and and a bag (laughs) and I I came back in in the early hours, what the fuck have you been? What? No. His parents, it was the fact his parents saw nothing. This one, when I fell over this one, it made me kind of think, well, that was just so weird that she decided to ship her off as a doll. There's so many other things you could have described this as to ship it off. But again, why was it not discovered being left in this warehouse? Why? She must have been decomposing in that apartment for a month before she shipped her out to the warehouse. How did she get her out? Well, not warehouse, a storage unit. How did she get her out there? How did nobody notice the smell? Was it by removing all the blood that slowed the decomp? Probably drained her off at the house and then shipped her off to this warehouse where where it would sit. If it's going to sit for, for months, weeks... It's going to distance her from the crime. I drove myself scatty trying to find the answers for this. Google Translate in Japanese is not easy. And there was still nothing. It really wasn't. But I I did also wonder she spent such an absolutely enormous amount of money when she got hold of that cards and living it up. So was it jealousy? Was it resentment that Rika had had a stable life and employment and she'd had nothing but a roommate who'd also left her? I don't know... Or was it this desperation to go with her friend? She needed all this and she couldn't... I don't know. I don't know whether she... I say, with a Brazilian passport, she couldn't have gotten into China without a visa. But she could have left Japan. She might have gotten into a bit of trouble, but they probably would have been glad to see the back of her. Gone back to Brazil, applied for a visa from Brazil and gone back to China that way. But instead she took this... That would have taken time and removed yeah. her from her friend. Her friend could have then said... Her friend was already in China. But it just drags it out more. That's, I know. that's where she wants to go. I, I, I just don't get what this was all about. The spree spending could have been that she knew she'd inevitably be caught. Yeah. That's, what you, that's what you would do. Yeah. 
You're going to live the high life while you can. Yeah, have a blowout. It seems incredibly disproportionate to me of wanting a Japanese visa or to live in Japan that you would then just, you would kill someone in order to acquire it. When it's just quite simply living in a different country, your problems wouldn't be solved by living in Japan or having a Japanese passport and then moving to China. It seems completely disproportionate amount of violence needed to just simply live somewhere else. I completely and utterly agree with you. And I, I don't know what to say to you. But so again, going back to what you said, if she'd have had a de- decent defence, they might have been able to get the psychological reports to actually say that that is a disproportionate reaction. But how many times do we see a completely disproportionate reaction to something that ends up in a murder case? I was watching a, a video on YouTube by Lad Bible. They interviewed a London gangster from back in the day called Bobby Cummings. No, I don't know him. He was talking about he had a mate that was killed in prison over an onion. An onion? Yeah. When they'd have the... They'd essentially steal bits from the, yes. from the kitchen because you, yeah. you, know, you work there. It's one of the privileges and you don't mess with people's food in prison. And they, they ended up stealing various things. I think one guy was going to make bolognese. There was an onion there. The guy took it. He said, no, that's mine. I nicked that first. And he said, do one. And then the guy stabbed him with a butcher knife in the heart and killed him. Over an so, onion. So he was killed over an onion. But Disproportionate was, violence in an yeah. environment, especially in prison. Everyone's everyone's elevated. This woman wasn't. No. And, and what's annoying is because we don't speak fucking Japanese. We don't know what happened. Or Brazilian. We don't know what happened to her. Well, I speak neither of them. and I, I just don't know. I'm, I'm here for the recording. You better speak English. <laughs> <laughs> We've been recording for 33 minutes and it's been about 45. There's a lot of cats. We don't know what happened back in Brazil. No. And, and that's the frustrating part. We don't know. And there's no messages from her dad that might no. have explained as to why. And she, she assume her mother is, isn't in the picture. So, no. So all of this was in Japanese. There's two English articles. And I went down so many avenues trying to get more information. And I just couldn't. But it was just, it was the doll aspect that freaked me out more than anything. She got turned into a golem, essentially, didn't she? Yeah. And it was also as well, because it was... Obviously, I Google mapped it to find out where um, Osaka and Tokyo, where Yuri was living, and realised it was, you know, 300 miles apart. And I thought, Yuri's potless. She works in supermarkets. She's got no money. How would I? And I thought, well, hang on a minute. These Japanese trains can do it in like 30 minutes, and they cost like £2.50. So it wouldn't be a big thing for them to zoom up and down the country, would it? I mean, with us, it'd take us a week with our trains. High-speed but... rail in certain countries versus the UK, where <laughs> yeah. you can't get a train from east to west. No, you, you can't. I can't get a train from where I live to Cambridge. I have to stop off in places. But it's just such a, it's just such a sad case as well, because poor Rika had done nothing. I mean, all victims have done nothing, but this was exceptional. So, finally, the victim who should not be forgotten... Rika Okada, aged 29. And that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MurderBeMondayPodcast and email us at MurderBeMondayPodcast.gmail.com We've got Patreon with comments, all the good stuff. Hope you're with them. Much love. Peace. Thank you. Bye-bye.